You are listening to Inclusion Evolution, a bi-weekly podcast that brings you insightful and engaging conversations on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the legal profession, the technology space, the world of sports, and our everyday. Here are your hosts, Lisa Mueller and Michael Kasdan. Welcome back to Inclusion Evolution. I'm Lisa Mueller. And I'm Mike Kasdan. Well, Mike, it's our second episode and it's December and this is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. So I thought a good topic today would be burnout. Yeah, I think it's a great topic. Um, You know, I think it's become kind of a buzzword, but I'm excited to kind of take a deep dive into it because I think it's, it's something that a lot of people are feeling. Uh, and I think, you know, if we're talking about inclusion, I'm really glad that we're including uh, mental health within within that umbrella. Um, and I think, uh, you know, even with the holidays, I think, you know, that can be <laughs> it's joyful for some, but a stressor for others. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really excited about today's topic. Yeah, I agree. I think it's an important topic. So let's go ahead and get right into it. And as you mentioned, I think so many people this year are feeling burnout Uh, regardless of what their job is, what industry they're in. And we're definitely seeing it with attorneys and their support staff. And as you said, you know, burnout's really become a buzzword. And and I thought just to be clear, I would give us a, a definition of what burnout really is. And it's a debilitating response to chronic stress, and it can have serious physiological and, uh, psychological effects. It can increase your risk of depression, substance use disorders, suicidal thinking, It can also reduce your self-regulation capacity that's necessary for civility and deliberative thinking, and it's often tied to dishonesty and unethical behavior. And you sent me an article, Mike, which I thought was really interesting, and this was an article by Ann Bradford, who back in May of 2021, on behalf of the Institute for Wellbeing and Law, conducted a survey in which she had 771 lawyers and nearly 300 support staff that responded. And she found that 63% of the lawyers and 51% of the support staff met the cutoff score for burnout. So Mike, I thought initially maybe we'd talk about some of the causes of burnout. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, first off, I think it's, it's important to, to, (laughs) at least for me to, to realize like, this is a real thing. (laughs) This isn't just an adjective people use to describe like, Hey, I'm just really tired or overworked. Like, you know, burnout, like you said, has real, uh, emotional and kind of physical and intellectual. It can be really debilitating. Um, and I think the causes, you know, it's of course, like many complicated things, you know, multiple factors. Um, but I think, you know, some of them, um, you know, it's stress, of course, is aligned with it. So, you know, having unmanageable workload, pressure to deliver it quickly. So high stress environments, I think, you know, definitely contribute, you know, to burnout. Um, and then I think, you know, sometimes when we think about the legal field, we think about deadlines and, you know, perfectionism and billable hours. And I think that's, you know, it's one of those environments that that can certainly contribute to burnout. Yeah, absolutely. And and I would like to say, too, it's just not attorneys and law firms. I know a lot of um, people who work in house who are under tremendous pressure to turn things around quickly, not to make any mistakes, who also work very, very long hours or under a lot of stress um, and also battling with um, that perfectionism, too. And and I think what's um, 
also contributed to these unmanageable workloads, both in-house and, and in the in law firms has been this great um, resignation in the last couple of years too. I know in my firm, we've been looking to hire and there just aren't people out there to hire. So that's increased attorneys' workloads and demands not only on them, but their support staff as well. Yeah, that's true. Like that, That's like the flip side effect of people in jobs, right? There's uh, it, it might be hard, harder to hire folks, but I mean, it's interesting that you bring up the great resignation, you know, another one of those, you know, buzzwords, but yeah. it's all tied into a lot of these mental health issues and burnout and, you know, people just sort of post pandemic or wherever exactly we are right now, kind of reexamining and kind of reframing, you know, their lives and thinking about work life balance and, and think and saying, Hey, like, I'm actually really dissatisfied in, in my job, uh, or the balance between, you know, work life and home life. And we met each other through work and we talk a lot about work, but I think it's also worth mentioning that I think another contributing factor to burnout um, is, you know, somewhat of just like the modern condition, like, you know, we're, we're bombarded with information every day with the, you know, we're, we're constantly kind of on and receiving messages and there's, there's so many relationships and things that we have to do every day between both home and work, um, that it can be overwhelming. Yeah. I think that lack of control of your schedule is part of it because like you said, you're being bombarded in so many different ways and things are coming up and, Things are changing and, and it just, you know, some days that lack of control can just be completely overwhelming and contribute significantly to the the stress you're feeling. Yeah, no, I, I really, I really do think that. And I've, I've, I've given a lot of thought to kind of this, this modern condition issue. I mean, I read a book with my book club this year, um, Sapiens by Yuval Harari. And, you know, he was talking about how back in olden times had like the capacity for like humans to have relationships. Like it's, it's kind of like maxed out at like a hundred people, but now we're getting news from all over the world. And when people talk about burnout, I think they also talk about kind of like the macro stuff that's going on in the world, Um, you know, political issues and polarization and gas prices and earthquakes on the other side of the world. And just always, it always feel and kind of our, our modern media, you know, I think also, you know, um, stressing some of, you know, the sensationalism and downside and creating some of that conflict. I think it all contributes to this feeling of overwhelmedness. Yeah. And I think uh, another factor too has been this whole issue of remote work and coming back to the office. I mean, a lot of employers, not only in the legal profession, they've been experimenting with different models and how this is going to work. And yes, you can work remotely. And now things are starting to change a little bit where employers are wanting more people back in the office. And, you know, I, I think that has contributed significantly and uh, to some of this burnout too. And, and while working remotely is great, um, you know, there are issues and lost opportunities that come up with it. And, you know, how do you make attorneys feel appreciated and um, make sure that uh, they're advancing like they should if they're working remote all the time. So I think that's been another contributor as well. Yeah, I think so too, just because it's, because it's, it's, if we stop and and take a pause, like we've all just gone through this sort of big collective trauma and shift. And now we're trying to figure out what the world looks like afterwards. And and there are certainly changes and, you know, remote work, the acceleration of remote work and hybrid and how are we supposed to do this? And what are we going to demand of our employees and of ourselves? Um, It's just all kind of unsettling. Right. Um, And I think when things are unsettled, it creates, you know, more stress. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I think also there 
there's a little bit, especially in law firms and in-house positions, both with attorneys and support staff, you know, people feeling that maybe they're not getting the respect they deserve. They've been working really hard, you know, especially during the pandemic at all different hours. And and that's a, another, I think, contributor to to this sense of burnout as well. Yeah. And I think and I think some of this is not new and we're just kind of talking about it more. People always want to do work that matters and be treated fairly and feel like they have agency in their lives and are doing something important that connects to you values wise. It's not always, you know, able, always able to do that perfectly, of course. Um, but I think we are talking about those things and maybe more like aware of those things. And certainly when you look to uh, at least between the generations, I think, you know, maybe our generation didn't talk about that stuff at work as much as maybe the current generation coming up through the ranks. And, um, but that is shifting. And so I think this, you know, making sure that you're um, being treated fairly and doing work that matters and doing meaningful work, I think is part of the answer. Because I think if you, uh, I think it definitely continues to burn out if your job is stressful and you're not happy and you feel like you're just doing busy work or you're not doing interesting work. Um, it just, I think it increases frustration and stress. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the last one I wanted to mention, you know, the legal field is highly competitive now, you know, our clients want us to do even more for less and, Firms are struggling sometimes to meet their annual revenue goals. And, and I think, um, you know, we don't learn in law school how to do a good job of marketing, how to deal with competition. So we're not we don't come out prepared for that. And, and I think, you know, that is another source of stress uh, and burnout for attorneys as well. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think I think uh, it's interesting. Different sources of stressors for attorneys of different um, ages and levels, right? Like as associates, it's the hours and, you know, learning to do this new thing and, um, and the sort of demands and always on this. And, but I think, you know, you're right also to identify kind of the mix of work, you know, as, as attorneys, um, you know, we have to do marketing and business development and bill collection and, 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 you know, firm management, but also, you know, do the actual substantive work and, and you're right that a lot of those things aren't things that were, you know, necessarily taught in law school um, or think about before you get to be, uh, you know, a partner or a senior lawyer. So um, I think it's I think it's correct that that is that that is a source of stress. Oh, absolutely. So we've talked about, you know, some things that can cause burnout in attorneys and support staff. And, you know, let's talk maybe about some of the the warning signs for burnout. I mean, I think one of the most obvious ones is exhaustion. Whether you're an attorney or you're in another profession, you know, everybody gets worn out sometimes. Um, but I think when there's this persistent and extreme fatigue um, that you see some people experiencing, that that's a, a warning sign um, of uh, burnout. And, and exhaustion can be both physical exhaustion. You're just so tired you can't get out of bed. And it, it can be emotional exhaustion as well. Yeah, and I think those are great points. And I think just just talking about the warning signs, um, I think is really important because I think you know when we talk about sort of solutions and creating a positive environment for folks, whether at work or or, or, or anywhere really, it's self awareness and awareness of your colleagues is is so critical. Um, so being able to kind of take your own temperature, but also being able to like look at your coworkers and say like, hey, <laughs> be able to check in, in in these ways, I think is really important. So yeah, I mean, exhaustion, like you said, I think it's also important to realize it can be physical and emotional and, you know, and then you can run out of fuel, you know, either way. Um, and, and I think so many people struggle with this. Um, and I think when it gets really bad, you know, uh, you know, one sign for me is, 
uh, you know, not getting enough sleep or struggling with. I feel like there are so many attorneys that struggle with with sleep um, and getting, you know, a good night rest. Um, I think sometimes if you're, you know, having a mental health problem, also you're you're waking up at that awful hour of like four in the morning, um, you know, or getting getting stressed or worrying about something. You know, if we're talking more about depression or anxiety, but sleep is such a such a focus for people. I know when when we spoke at our firm about topics that people wanted to learn about, um, it was like, well, how do I get better sleep? Better sleep hygiene. Um, I think it's another one of these modern condition things where, you know, we've gotten kind of progressively worse at it uh, as we're bringing more devices, you know, into bed and staying up later. And um, so I think I think that, you know, exhaustion, like you said, I think is is definitely a telltale sign. And I think, um, like you said, like, you know, everyone gets kind of tired. Sometimes we have busy lives. We run around. But um, but but when someone is really physically or emotional emotionally depleted um i think you know you can you can start to tell that it's it's not just oh uh, you know i had a, had a tough day and did a lot it's like i'm i'm depleted um and i think it's something important to be able to check in with colleagues about yeah when you hear colleagues that are talking about they're having trouble sleeping that's that's usually kind of like the first warning sign that that i've noticed and then i think what goes hand in hand with this exhaustion is you have trouble focusing i mean you've been depleted both physically and mentally and then, you know, you see people who can't focus, they have trouble following what they're doing, staying on task, they just don't have the energy to even get something started, you know, so I think that's uh, another telltale sign, something that might normally just take an hour to do, you know, they're struggling to do in two or three hours. Yeah, that's another one of those things you can kind of take your own temperature about. And I mean, also like, you know, motivation, I think fits right into the sort of trouble focusing, but losing motivation. And I think this really connects to what I was saying earlier about and what we were both saying about having kind of meaningful work and feeling like you have agency and you're doing work that matters. Um, you know, if you're if you're tired and stressed and exhausted and you wake up and the work is like, you know, you're not motivated to do it. That's definitely a sign that, you know, it causes trouble focusing. It's also a sign that you're that you're burnt out. You're not going to be very effective working and you might have plenty of energy to spend on, you know, distractions like social media or TV or being on the phone, um, but not really be motivated, you know, to do much else. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, then, you know, you're, you're tired, you're mentally, physically exhausted, you're having trouble focus. And then it seems like the next one that comes along is you're getting irritable and, and you're just snapping at people, you're impatient, you're moody, um, you have trouble controlling your temper. And that's something I've seen with with colleagues and clients as well. You can always tell when people are starting to really get impatient and and they're they're having these mood swings that they're they're approaching the burnout stage. Yeah, I mean, I feel right, and then you know, it's it's understandable. Like when you're on edge, <laughs> like yeah. any little can kind of like push you a little bit over, and you know, you just feel like annoyed at even like minor things because it's like the straw that breaks the camel's back. So I think that that's a good kind of warning sign to keep an eye on, like your own irritability and the irritability of of coworkers, and you know, that might be an indication that you need some some work life balance adjustment. Yeah, absolutely. And then I, I think another one that pops up, and this is one you've talked about frequently, is is depression. Um, and it's more than just feeling sad. It's it's really an intense feeling. And it's really can be very, very serious with major mental and some physical symptoms. Yeah, I mean depression is is a big <laughs> it's a big topic. It's its own topic. Exactly. But I think, you know, listing it here shows that there's, you know, there, there's overlap between all of these sort of mental health conditions. And I think there's overlap in sort of 
causes and symptoms. If and, and so depression is, you know, I, I used to, I, I, and then I have personal experience um, with depression, uh, and it wasn't an experience I had till I was in my my mid thirties. Uh, I used to just think like, oh, it's just sadness, and just you know, suck it up and get over it. It can be really debilitating and, and really manifest in all sorts of different different ways, including like like total loss of interest in enjoyable activities, um, loss of energy, the the tough the tough sleeping, like the insomnia, and it, it's you know very hard to like think or focus. So it, it's well beyond um, you know just feeling sad or upset. It's a uh, it's it, it's you know both a physical and mental symptoms that can be really acute. Yeah, absolutely. And in addition to that, you know, a lot of times people who um, are suffering burnout, who are approaching depression, you know, you'll see them, they exhibit more frequent illnesses um, because they start to have some compromising of their immune system. You know, anytime you get chronic stressed after a while, it, it just wears your body down and you start developing um, health issues, anything from headaches to stomach problems to pain, digestive issues. I mean, and a lot of times when you're under chronic stress, you you're you have memory problems. You just can't remember because you're just again exhausted and you're exhibiting all these things that we were were talking about. Yeah. And you know, and and like I was saying, I, I talk a lot about mental health um through um this other project that I do called Lawyering While Human. And I think one of the the trickiest, one of the most difficult things is um, you know, we take physical illness very seriously because we can see it, you know, and if you have diabetes or, or, or cancer or you broke your arm, um, like, you know, we're like, wow, you know, you, you, we deal with it because it's, it's visible and, and all these things we're talking about, including burnout, but also depression, um, you know, it's, it's invisible. It feels more like, you know, inside it's emotional. Um, but I think what, what's really interesting to understand is that these mental illnesses, including, you know, burnout, like, like we have a, a response to stress that is based on like chemicals in our body. Like you get overwhelmed. I forget the name of the chemical because I'm not a doctor. I'm just a lawyer, <laughs> but there is a physical connection here. Um, and so when your body is flooded with, you know, like the stress chemical, um, you know, like, like you said, like it can make you more susceptible to other illnesses. It can, it can cause all sorts of physical, um, and, and mental, you know, manifestations. And I think we have a, you know, it's, it's been a, a, an obstacle to get over, to take, to get people to really focus and take seriously these kind of invisible illnesses, because it's harder to detect, but I think it's, it's so, so critical. Yeah, absolutely. And, we talked a little bit about people being irritable um, and kind of moody and short tempered, you know, when they're suffering burnout. But, you know, everyone is different and some people don't actually get moody or, or you know, short tempered. They actually withdraw and um, they don't lash out. And, you know, sometimes this is one that's harder to, um, you know, really pick up in colleagues and people you work with, you know, maybe something that somebody who's normally very, sociable just becomes less social. They may just, you know, not go out in group settings. They may not start to participate. And, and that's when I think, you know, people should really keep an eye out for, because sometimes that's a less obvious sign of burnout than maybe somebody who, you know, if they're biting your head off during a call for something that you said, you know, you're like, oh, something's going on there. But if somebody's more withdrawn and more quiet, that may be something a little bit more subtle that you're not picking up on. Yeah, I think that that's a really important point. I think it's also made more complicated by the sort of remote or hybrid work 
because withdrawal, you know, when I when I suffered from depression, uh, withdrawal, social withdrawal was was one of my symptoms, and it's a, it is a big symptom for many. Um, like you know, you just don't want to see people. Um, you just want to be by yourself. Um, and you know, in our modern life, like we can do that, and when you're working from home, you can do that, um, and you can be really disconnected. And I, I think it's harder to keep tabs on folks when you're not seeing them every day. Um, and I think you know, but you you can see you know the time it takes for people to get assignments and are they sending you emails at like three in the morning, you know, rather than, you know, and, and rather than sort of communicating in a normal way. But I think it's it's made more complicated, but it's even more important to keep tabs on people during kind of our current working environment where we're, where we're working from home a lot. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's one where the withdrawal can be much harder, like you said, to detect. Somebody could easily on an hour Zoom or Teams call, you know, appear maybe just a little quieter than the normal versus if you're in the office and, and you're, you know, seeing that person more frequently, you're seeing them around the office. So I think that's one people really should keep an eye out for given our current work arrangements. Yeah, agreed. And then the last one I wanted to talk about, and this is a, a big issue in the legal industry just in general, is self-medication. And that tends to happen when people are, are burning out. You know, they're looking for a way to escape everything that they're going through, the sleeplessness, they they don't feel well, they're exhausted mentally and physically, they're irritable. So they turn to other ways to try and deal with the burnout. And that might be, you know, alcohol, it might be legal um, drugs and maybe other drugs um, and other self-medicating behaviors. It might be even just being on your phone all the time. You might eat excessively. You may not eat. There's a lot of different ways you can self-medicate yourself. And I think that's uh, another one people should watch out for as well. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. I think that all of those uh, addictive behaviors, uh, whether it's alcohol or drugs or, uh, you know, devices, um, those are all coping mechanisms. And, you know, they're healthy coping mechanisms um, and unhealthy coping mechanisms. And I think, you know, the reality is, you know, in our modern world, I think a lot of people sometimes use unhealthy coping me mechanisms. And uh, sometimes that turns into much more than sometimes. I saw a great like little meme uh, that said like these are things that actually are energy depleting, uh, and these are things that are um, like you know that give you energy. Uh, and a lot of the sort of unhealthy mechanisms actually kind of make it worse, like they deplete you even further, even if it feels good in the moment. Um, but you know, healthier coping me mechanisms like you know physical exercise, um, things like that, actually like give you energy. Um, so it's just an interesting thing to sort of keep in mind. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great segue to what we're going to talk about next, which is what can we do to manage our stress better and avoid burnout? Yeah. So this is a topic that I talk a lot about in, in the context of mental health more generally, um, but I think it also applies to burnout. And I think um, it's important to talk about this and on like sort of two levels at the same time. One is individual techniques. Um, so I think there are lots of individual techniques and uh, that you can integrate into your life to make you yourself more resilient and, you know, decrease stress. Um, and we can certainly talk about those. And I think those are really important. Um, but I also really strongly believe that if we only talk about those individual techniques, 
without talking about the need to also kind of change an institutional culture, um, then, you know, we're, we're only, we're sort of focusing um, too much only on the individual. And like, you know, you can't like yoga your way out of burnout or depression. It's, it's you got to kind of do both. Um, so I think, but I think um, it's really important to talk about some of these, like, what can we do to manage stress and avoid burnout? What are the, what are some of these techniques? Yeah. So maybe we'll start out with the, the individual ones and then we can finish up with the, the changing of institutional culture. So, yeah. you know, on, on an individual level, you know, um, I think having a strong support network is always important. People you can talk to, people you trust and you can utilize, you know, and, and I think that can range from mentors to your family, your friends, peers, colleagues, maybe even a therapist or, or a coach. I mean, I think, you know, having that network behind you so, you know, you have people who understand uh, what you're going through and, and are there for you that are, um, you know, I think some inside work and some outside of work are really important. Yeah, I think it's important to have both, um, you know, definitely have colleagues at work that you can open up to or that you feel like you can come to and speak frankly to. Um, and sometimes it takes takes some time to figure out who those folks are, but they're, they're really important because they can help you navigate when these issues come up at work. Um, but like, like you said, also family and friends, like I'm very lucky to have a very supportive family uh, and friends that I, that I lean on. And I'm also, you know, happy that, you know, with my kids, I've totally normalized, you know, seeing a therapist because I went to, I, I see a therapist, even when things are going well, um, I have a check-in like every two weeks, uh, actually had a half hour session this morning um, and things are pretty good. And it, but it was nice just to process stuff with someone who's not your family and, and, you know, is kind of an objective uh, third person and it's really, really important. And, I'm, and I see it, you know, with my kids and my kids' friends, like they, so many of them have therapists or coaches. Um, and I think it's really healthy. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think it's a really valuable thing to have. And like you said, somebody outside um, and a, of the, your normal circle of friends and family and colleagues who can be objective and can see things differently from perhaps everybody else you associate with, I think is really, really important. Yeah. And sometimes you just need to process stuff. And, you know, right. Like we're talking about burnout. You're like, you know, just to say, hey, this is happening at work and this is how I'm feeling. And I realize it. And what can I do about it? What can I change? How do I have this conversation with this person? Um, you know, everyone needs some help processing stuff sometimes. Um, I think when you just keep it inside, it's, it can get overwhelming. And once you get it out, it just it becomes more like, OK, like, here's a problem. I see it. How do I solve it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think another really good technique, and you alluded to this before, is, you know, self-care, taking care of yourself and your body and making yourself a priority each and every day. And and it's really not a selfish thing. It, it's doing what you need to do to make sure that you feel you can feel and be your best. And whether that's, like you said, exercising or yoga or maybe it's an art class or I think it's something that that makes you feel good, that will give you your own sense of personal joy. Yeah, this is self-care is such an interesting one to me um, because, first of all, it seems like it should be the most obvious and simple thing in the world to like literally take care of yourself. Because, of course, you have to take care of yourself before you can be successful, live a balanced life, kind of take care of other people. Um, it should come, it seemed to me, like supernaturally, um, but it just doesn't. Like life is complicated and it's busy and we can stretch ourselves and contort ourselves in all sorts of way, ways and, you know, think about ourselves at last. Um, so I think this is the thing that sort of sometimes slips to the bottom of the list. Um, so it's it's interesting to me. It should it should come really naturally, but I think we the reality is 
we have to be really intentional about it. The other thing about self-care that I noticed is like, I don't know if it's the word or what, but I feel like it turns a lot of people off. A lot of men, especially, are like self-care. Like, and maybe they think it's like getting a pedicure or something. I was thinking they think it's a spa day. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I mean, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with spa days, but I just think like we need like a different, like, it's, it's just interesting. You know, I, I went to a, to a law school that I spoke at and we had a program that had self-care in the title. And we didn't get that many people to come. Um, and the people that came, it was like all, it was all women. And what was interesting to me is, you know, some of the feedback that we got, you know, people were like, well, I'm here in law school to like, you know, kick butt and get a job, not self-care, you know, but people don't realize like, this is like a super, <laughs> it's all integrated. It's all kind of part of it. Um, and, you know, when we're talking about th this is actually how you um, make sure that your mind is firing right and you're creative and you're, you know, emotionally well and that you're able to, you know, have success. Um, people don't don't realize it's this integrated thing. And I think we have a lot of work to do in that area. Yeah. And and just two points on, on what you said. I think, you know, self-care, like you said, it it sounds easy enough to do and it should be obvious that we do it. But I think for a lot of people, it's really difficult to do. And I think especially like work, working parents, it's really challenging, right? Because you've got you're working, you've got kids and, you know, there's so much going on and trying to, you know, squeeze out, you know, even if it's just 15 minutes for yourself for self-care, I think is, is super important. And, and I think we need to focus on self-care, especially with attorneys a lot earlier, you mentioned law school. I think it's something that uh, just like diversity, equity, inclusion should be taught and emphasized in law school. I think self-care should too, because I think this is something that when new graduates come out of law school, they're just totally unprepared for the stress and the intensity of the job. Yeah. You know, we also have the last thing I'll say about it also, because, you know, I said, oh, this should be the easiest thing in the world. Of course, like take care of yourself. But then we like erect a system where we're like, you know, your time during the day when you're at work, like you want to be like billing them and billable hours. Like there's no, you know, client matter code for self-care. Exactly. It takes something to be like, I'm going to take this 45 minutes and actually devote it to like myself when you want, want to get your work done and you have, you know, home life responsibilities and relationship responsibilities. And um, it just it's this other thing that we feel like we need to fit in. Um, and I think the, the best the best advice to do there is to just integrate it as you know early <laughs> and often as possible. So it doesn't feel like this other task. It just becomes kind of part of life. Yeah, I think that's really good advice, integrating it into your everyday. So it just becomes part of your normal routine routine is the best way to do it. Because if you keep saying, oh, I'll do it on Tuesday, I'll do it on Thursday, you're never going to get to it. So you just have to kind of schedule it in along with everything else. So I think another good one, Mike, is building a resilient mind. And I think having a strong mind will help you bounce back quickly from all the stresses and strains that happen each and every day. And, and I think one of the ways you can do that is by practicing mindfulness during the day. And and I think mindfulness, people think of like meditation, and that's that's certainly one of them. But I think it's being aware of your feelings, your thoughts, your actions, and your surroundings. So I think it means being more intentional with your time. Yeah. And I think also kind of being in the moment. And I think also framing things. Like there are things that we can control and things that we can't. And you know, for, for me, like mindfulness has been like a journey because I used to think of it the way you said it, like, oh, it's, you know, it's doing yoga and, and meditating. And that didn't seem like for me. Um, but 
I think the thing about about mindfulness and resilience that's so interesting, um, and there's science behind this. Like, you know, you're not just born with a certain amount of resilience. Like, you can actually learn to be more resilient. And I think that's fascinating, right? You see, like, people going through stressful situations or difficult situations, and some people um, really bounce back very well and others don't. Um, And so I think, you know, resilience is something that can be learned. And I think so much of it is is our mind and how we frame things. And when you think about your mind in a burnt out state or a depressed state or an anxious state um, and the way it frames things uh, versus the way that a healthy mind frames things, um, it's really all going on inside. Yeah. <laughs> but it's super powerful. Um, and so, yeah, I think resilience, like we could talk for hours about resilience. Definitely. Uh, but I think it's so, so important to like build in techniques that help build resilience um, because it's really, really powerful. And I think building in resilience is really, really important to that. And also, I think as attorneys, a lot of times we have we struggle with issues of being perfect and that perfectionism. And I think that goes along with building a resilient mind and and, you know, controlling yourself when it comes to being perfect all the time, because none of us is perfect. Yeah. And I think community and talking about this stuff that we maybe in the past haven't talked about, it really helps. Like when, when you know. When, when you talk about imposter syndrome or perfectionism and, you know, and, and I think we can do this as, as leaders too, right? If an associate makes a mistake and like cites the wrong case or leaves something out of a brief or misses a deadline, I think inside that it feels like it's the end of the world. Like you've done this terrible thing and, and there could be so much stress um, and, and, and it can be really debilitating and difficult. I think if we have leaders that were like, oh yeah, you know, I did that when I was an associate, you know, let's solve the problem. Um, I think if you open up, if we all open up about uh, and become a little more vulnerable and say, hey, you know, it's not the end of the world. You know, we, I made a mistake like that 20 years ago. Here I am today. Uh, I think that helps. And it's, it's also kind of, that's kind of reframing also for your friends. Yeah, exactly. Because I think if you're trying to be perfect, that's going to lead to a lot of uh, self-criticism, which can take you down a really dark path. So I think uh, we all make mistakes. And like you said, just, you know, having that kind of supportive uh, community around you that if you do make a mistake, you realize you, you just fix it, you get over it and you move on type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that gets into a little bit of what I was talking about, like the culture. That's what leaders can create. Um, You know, it's great to be able to say, okay, like go build resilience. But I think we can also do things uh, for our colleagues that that help foster that together. Absolutely. And I think another one I just want to mention is because it's another one that's easy to do is um, not sacrificing your personal life and and also trying to find ways to reduce the work-life conflict. I mean, we all work hard and whether you're in the legal profession, you're outside. um, And I think sometimes it gets easy to fall into that habit to just work all the time. And uh, so then you throw your work-life balance, whether it was family or friends or, or whatever um, out of whack. And, And I think it's important to establish boundaries. Yeah, I think it's really important. And look, I've worked plenty of hours and plenty of deadlines <laughs> and, um, and build lots of hours over time. And, 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 you know, part of that is the job, certainly. Um, but I actually, I hate this term work-life balance. Um, I think, cause first of all, like, I just think it's, it's, it's a false construct. Like, there's only one Mike, like there's me and, you know, and, and there's only one life. <laughs> and some of that time I spend at work and the rest of the time I don't. Um, and so I, I just think that we have to live like an integrated life where, where work is part of that. And and I know, I know it's kind of saying the same thing, but this sort of 
this sort of fiction of like there's like the work mic and then there's like the other the other mic um like you know we're the same person <laughs> and they each affects the other uh you know what happens at home life will affect you know at work and vice versa so i think it's it's uh you know and this is another one where there are things that we can do personally, like boundaries, right? Like I'm terrible at boundaries. I think I'm getting a little bit better over time as I get a little older, like uh, setting a boundary. I think it's hard for people, uh, certain people that are like people pleasers and that's taken a lot of work. So boundaries and being good about boundaries, but this is another one that like in, in a culture and as leaders, like we can also help folks with, um, because I think that a lot of the um, you know, the always on, you know, comes as a function of expectations and leadership. And sometimes there are deadlines and sometimes you need to stay really late to get the brief file. But sometimes like the next day is just as good. Uh, and sometimes better management can we can space things out a little bit better and not create those like, urgent situations. So um, I think it's another thing that's like a leadership issue and a culture issue. Absolutely. So I think another one, Mike, is um, practicing random acts of kindness. I think this helps you reset and to be on the lookout for things that are positive and kind, and it'll make you happy and more positive. And it helps also to increase your empathy and compassion. Yeah. And like this, this is another one that sounds like, well, why, what does that have to do with like lawyering and work? And like, what, what are we talking about here? Um, but, you know, as I've gotten older and as I've thought about this, I've gotten definitely to more more appreciate um, you know, this as an actual <laughs> thing that not only helps the world, but helps yourself. Um, another one that I think is, is adjoining to it is gratitude. Um, just like, it, cause again, it's about how we frame the world and, and, you know, whether we're getting overwhelmed by the bad or actually saying, huh, like stopping and pausing and reframing. So gratitude is another one. Um, I have a friend who does work focusing on like happiness and joy. And I did a session with her and um, one of the techniques she told me to, to try just for a day would, was to like end every conversation with anyone, like whether it's like the barista at Starbucks or like your boss or your partner with saying like, I appreciate you. And it feels really good to receive that. And it feels really good to say it, to stop and pause and appreciate that. Um, and um, it's it sounded like this little thing, but um, I thought it was pretty profound, actually, when I practiced it. That's really neat. Well, we've talked about several things that you, we can do as individuals, but you've alluded a couple of times to, you know, that's great and all, but we need some institutional change. We need some cultural change. And, and you've mentioned leadership and I think that's spot on, whether we're talking about in a corporate legal department or in a law firm. Yeah, I think that the, the issue is a cultural issue and an institutional issue and a leadership issue. Um, and certainly, you know, burnout is one of these mental health issues that's invisible that we're talking about now more than ever. Um, but it's one of these things that's institutional, like the stigma and the kind of not talking about it, the powering through all these things that don't help and that help it proliferate our institutional. And those things can be really hard to change, as as we know, with like any other institutional issues that we might talk about on this podcast, like racism and sexism and, you know, you know, homophobia, you know, all those isms are institutional, um, not just because like the individuals aren't doing a good enough job, but we, but we have, but we have this, this sort of entrenched um, you know, cultural way of looking at it. So I think mental health um, similarly really requires culture change in order to make it better for everyone. And I think that means um, that within our firms and within our corporations, like we're actually talking about this stuff more and creating more spaces. And I think that's also going to help us to like, you know, you know, be more aware <laughs> of our colleagues and their needs and be more self-aware 
um, and then be able to practice some of these individual techniques sort of, you know, together and integrate them better. Yeah. And I, I was doing some reading. There are some firms and some legal departments that have like chief happiness officers. And I know for some people, I, I see them roll their eyes when uh, um, this has come up in various conversations. But, you know, I think, you know, it, it's a way to start changing this conversation and show that the the law firm or the legal department is taking seriously mental health and well-being and employee and slash attorney satisfaction and that people are feeling like they're valued. And, um, you know, it's a start. I think we have to start somewhere and and hopefully we'll start to see some more of those. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And I think, uh, you know, the bottom line for that kind of stuff, uh, you know, whether you're an eye roller or not, is that there is a business case for this stuff. Um, in, in the end, like we are people, <laughs> the businesses are made out of people and those people have brains. And that's in the end kind of what we sell and what differentiates us. And there's a lot of science behind um, all the things that we've been talking about today, even though some of it feels more fluffy. So I, I think that you know, whether you come at it from like a moral place uh, or have experienced burnout and you don't want other people to experience it because it's terrible, um, or you come at it from kind of like a business case, um, I think we get to the same place, which is why I think that uh, I'm hopeful that we're going to do this sort of culture change stuff. And and I'm excited to kind of learn more about these individual techniques we've been talking about and from my friends and colleagues and try and pass that on to others. So, Mike, how do you think we effectuate this culture change within firms and legal departments? I mean, certainly conversations like this are helpful. I think also more higher level discussions, whether they're webinars or seminars or things like that, would would be useful, too, because I think a lot of uh, legal departments and law firms, you know, aren't quite there yet on this subject. Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen law departments, uh, I don't know, I don't know if they've seen the, the chief happiness officers, but I see a lot of directors of wellness and well-being start starting to come into the law firms. And so I think education is is part of it and having this talk, right? But in addition to talking about the problem, which I think is education, which is important, and giving people, you know, arming people with these techniques and, you know, about how to increase resilience and how to recognize maybe when one of your colleagues is struggling and what to do about it. But I think we also have to then move on to like, well, what are the solutions, right? Like, what can we do? Um, you know, what policies, what procedures, what structures we put in place? Um, and I think we're just scratching the surface there. But I think we have to not only have this this conversation about the problem, but also like, what are the solutions? And I, and I think, you know, big firms with lots of people in them, um, you know, lots of smart people, um, there are solutions that you can put in place um, to make sure that, you know, it, to, to watch out for each other and make sure that we're filling in for each other uh, and making sure that we're always kind of our best selves. And um, so, so I think uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that that we're, we're going to get there. But I think right now we're kind of at the talking about the problems phase. Um, and I think we have we have a ways to go where, where we're kind of integrating some of these solutions kind of structurally in firms. But I think we can get there. Yeah. And I think with help with institutions like the Institute for Wellbeing and Law and others that are, are getting these stories out and they're writing articles and they're doing surveys. I think all that will help as well. Yeah, I agree. So I really appreciated this conversation today. We started off talking about how we're coming into the holidays and then set up for this very difficult conversation about burnout and mental health. Um, but I think it's something that, that that just talking about it makes it even a little better just to realize that um, so many people are thinking about this issue. And, and I'm really hopeful that we're talking about it more than ever. 
Um, we're spreading some of the solutions, sharing stories, uh, and also kind of talking about some of these bigger culture change issues. Um, so I think, you know, in the end, it's a tough topic, um, but, but I think we've had a real positive conversation and I appreciate you. Yes, I appreciate you as well, Mike. <laughs> well, that's it for this week's episode. So Lisa and I will catch you next time on Inclusion Evolution. Thank you for listening to Inclusion Evolution. The views expressed during this podcast are solely those of the hosts and not of their respective law firms. Share your thoughts with us by emailing us at llmuller at casimerjones.com or mkasden at wigan.com. 